Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us for today's AOA. We've got a lot coming on today's program. Saw an announcement overnight from Russia spooked the wheat market, changed the trajectory of things in the commodity markets. Pedro Deneca of MD Commodities will join us in just a moment with an update. Then we're going to talk with Chelsea Good, head of the Livestock Marketing Association. We're going to talk about some bills that have recently been introduced in Congress that that organization is in support of before talking in segment three with Jeff Cooper, head of the Renewable Fuels Association. Again, biofuels legislation is coming in thick and heavy in Washington, D.C. Jeff's going to give us an update about what all is under discussion there in that city. Before we dive into all of that, however, we've got to dig into these commodity markets. Started in the overnight with a lot of red on the screen. Here in the morning, we're green all the way down the trade. Joining us for an update is Pedro Deneca, founder, partner at MD Commodities. Pedro, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Mike. Always a pleasure. So the turnaround we saw in sentiment here in the commodity markets, Pedro, from me looking into it, it sure seems like it was sparked by those Russian comments that they might start withholding wheat exports. Is that what this rally started on? Absolutely. It is really as simple as that. You know, once you put that together with a record and quite frankly, quite exaggerated short fund position in the wheat markets, uh, you don't need much of a spark to get the type of reaction that we're seeing today. So we don't need to get any more complicated than that uh, to explain the rally that's happening right now. All right. So Putin's out there. He's saying wheat prices are down. We're going to withhold wheat from the world stage. Pedro, watching these prices here, it seems as though the market thinks he's not bluffing. Uh, could this wheat actually come off the global market? I'm going to give you my personal opinion because that's all I have. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to know exactly what's going to happen. But my personal opinion is no, they're not going to uh, withhold wheat from the market. And uh, it is in their interest to keep exporting. But at the same time, I completely understand the game, quote unquote, that's being played. Uh, the market uh, had fallen maybe a little too much here in the short term. And, uh, you know, just a little common to uh, get the market a little nervous, get that uh, those funds uh, that are quite short right now. Uh, to cover at least uh, part of their position. So for me, it's a little bit of gamesmanship, nothing more. Uh, and uh, we shall see that in the next few months, in my opinion. Yeah, I've got to imagine Putin's looking at a 30 cent rally, 35 cent rally here in the wheat market. They're probably getting some sales on, wouldn't you think? Better? Yeah, I, I would not doubt that. You know, it's uh, we could still have a little more ways to go. You know, again, the, the fund position is way, way, way too short for this time of year. Uh, that's definitely something that uh, needs to be put on our radar. We're getting into some some key times also here for uh, winter wheat conditions and, uh, you know, going into planting, U.S. planting, uh, northern hemisphere planting. So, yeah, uh, it does not surprise me that we're seeing this type of rally with that type of headline. Uh, but headlines are are that, you know, uh, uh, we we traded headlines a couple of months ago or even weeks ago. Oh, Brazil's not going to be able to export uh, soybeans and et cetera, et cetera. And I kept pounding on the desk and saying, guys, that's wrong, you know, but hey, it doesn't stop the market from rallying on such headlines. Absolutely, Pedro. Let's turn the focus down to Brazil because you were right about that. Brazil does have a lot of beans. They are getting those beans to the port. We were seeing that put tremendous weight on soybean futures For here sure. up until about two hours ago. Now that's turned, 
Have we sparked a short covering rally here in soybeans today? Again, Mike, I think, um, you know, we're just talking to some clients in Brazil this morning and, um, you know, the, the, the funds, they really control the market, right? I mean, the, the, the type of money flow that they control is so huge. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what side you're in, right? So for the producer, fortunately, the funds exaggerate on the buy side. Uh, and when they do that, uh, that brings opportunities. And that's something we kept talking about, even with the awful situation in Argentina, that Brazil at 150 plus was going to more than make up. The world in the current demand environment did not need Argentina at 50, 40, even 30 million metric tons. You know, so uh, for us, the fund had an exaggerated long position in meal and in beans, and we had to take advantage of that. And I actually think now, seeing what they did in the corn market, for instance, right? I mean, they flipped uh, the equivalent of 40 million metric tons in positions, right? They went from 250,000 long to a 50,000 short in a matter of four to five weeks. Um, it's a little questionable the timing that they're choosing to do this because we are literally entering um, the production cycle here in the United States. So I'm not so sure that it's in their best interest to be short going into the U.S. growing season with so much risk ahead. So for me, I believe that the funds exaggerated on the upside. They're now... Uh, they got caught wrong-handed or wrong-sided on that position, and they're liquidating. But I think the liquidation is maybe getting a bit exaggerated in the short term, so I would not be surprised to see a little bit of a rally at least um, maybe after uh, the quarterly report next um, next week and as we head into mid-April. Pedro, as we get a rally here, and let's let's focus on the soybean market for the moment. We know Brazil has a big crop. We know those farmers have been holding back from the market. If we get a rally, what's the risk that those Brazilian farmers all rush to market at once? Yeah, that's absolutely something that we talked about multiple times during the show, right, Mike? And uh, it's um, uh, the fact that the Brazilian farmer and really even the U.S. farmer is still quite undersold. Uh, it's definitely going to be a problem, right? So now we had one release valve. Uh, come off, which is the fund position, right? That's something that absolutely worried us. Uh, we posted on Twitter uh, not too long ago. Um, I posted something, uh, maybe a drawing, right? A cartoon that I said, hey, listen, the emergency exit can get pretty crowded if the funds, the Brazilian farmer and the U.S. farmer all try to exit at the same time. Uh, so now the fund has exited most of their long position. Let's just say, I don't know exactly what the position is, uh, but the Brazilian farmer just like the U.S. farmer has been spooked by the uh, speed of, of the fall in prices here. And I actually, uh, in my view, if the U.S. weather is decent and U.S. produces a decent crop, uh, this fall of $1 a bushel, et cetera, that we've had, maybe a little over that, it's nothing compared to what we could see this summer. So I think the mindset, I can speak at least to the, to the Brazilian producer, has changed a little bit. They understand now what's happening. And I think if we see a 50 cent rally or maybe even a dollar rally, they're going to be active sellers unless we have a major weather situation or weather scare in the United States. Pedro, we're watching that corn crop in Brazil get in the ground here. What's your take on the progress of that crop and what's the prognosis look like for the future? <laughs> yeah, Mike, that, season? It looks outstanding, Mike. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I even joked around. I said, hey, listen, this, the, some of the corn that I looked at in Safrinha, I said, this looks like U.S. corn. You know, it looks like American corn. Uh, obviously, U.S. is the leader worldwide in uh, corn yield. Uh, Brazil has a ways to go to, to be able to even try to get close to it. But uh, you're seeing some outstanding, outstanding, uh, uh, you know, corn potential down there with Safrinha. Now, again, we're going to need good weather. 
through April to make sure that we can guarantee uh, the crop. But uh, I certainly believe that the potential is there for, uh, well, number one, a new record crop for us. It's almost but guaranteed with the weather the way it is right now. Um, but I want to wait until mid-April to really state that. And a new record crop would be anything over 117 million metric tons. But I believe the potential is over 130 million metric tons. And Brazil is going to export heavy come July, August. So I also think that's going to eat into U.S. exports in the second half of the year. All right, folks, lots of things to keep an eye on. You can follow Pedro, keep up with his thoughts on Twitter at PhD Chicago. Pedro Deneca of MD Commodities, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mike. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be talking with Chelsea Good of the Livestock Marketing Association here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting Blindness. Together, 
We are Fighting Blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Across the country here over the past several months, sale barns have been an exciting place to be if you've been there for a feeder cattle sale. There's demand out there in the countryside, and it's great to see all this kind of energy flowing back to those livestock barns, helping keep cattle moving across this country. But the folks who run those sale barns have been active, not just making sure those animals are moving to where they need to be, but also working in Washington, D.C. on some policy issues. Joining us today for an update on everything livestock marketing related is Chelsea Good. She's there with the Livestock Marketing Association. And Chelsea, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here today. Thanks for having me on this morning. Let's talk a little bit about what is happening in Washington, D.C. this year, Chelsea. Earlier in this Congress, or Congress, rather, we had you on to talk about the A-plus bill in the House. I understand earlier this week we had the companion bill introduced in the Senate. Can you talk to us a little bit about it? Exactly, yes. Um, so this week, uh, Senators Ben Ray Lujan of New Mexico and Joni Ernst of Iowa um, introduced Expanding Local Meat Processing Act, uh, Senate Bill 813, and that is the companion to that House Bill, the A-plus Act. Essentially what it would do is it would allow your local livestock auction owner or manager to uh, invest in a small or regional meat packer, and that's something that is an outdated prohibition that continues to exist that we're excited to see Congress uh, pushing back on that and hopefully uh, offering up some new opportunities for investment in meatpacking capacity. Absolutely. And Chelsea, now this is a bill, or at least that A-plus bill was one we saw last year in Congress, didn't quite make it across the finish line. Have there been any changes to the text this year as it goes forward in the Senate? The, the only really uh, tweak that is there is there is a threshold in this bill. We're looking at uh, investing in local and regional uh, meatpacking capacity. There was a threshold that kind of cut off the top 10 largest cattle processors. Um, the, the updated bill also does the same with pork processors, but that threshold is different because um, what is a lot of cattle is not that many hogs. And so looking at that updated legislation, that's the only tweak is it, it's making sure that on both the cattle and the hog side, the top 10 processors would be kind of set aside and not able to be co-invested in. But if you're looking smaller than that, it would open it up for investment. Okay. And so from the, the sale barn owner's perspective, Chelsea, what is it about that industry that's pushing for this rule to change? How do, how do they believe incorporating the folks at the LMA into processing can help make, make life better for consumers? Well, you know, at the end of the day, we're in the competition business and we've got markets that uh, see opportunities to add competition, to add one more packer buyer on the seats if there is a new local or regional processor or maybe a local processor that, that, that is significantly expanded. And so that's what our markets are after is just continuing to drive competition. I think we really saw that over um, the COVID timeframe of just a uh, lack of shackle space and, and the need to have just additional packers competing 
But it's not just a livestock auction perspective. I'll tell you that um, the livestock sector is unified on this topic. I was excited to see, um, following that Senate introduction, a coalition letter be sent to the, the chair people and the ranking members of the Senate and House Ag Committee that was co-signed by the American Farm Bureau Federation, American Sheep Industry Association, LMA signed on, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Pork Producers Council, and the United States Cattlemen's Association. So from a producer perspective, this, this provides some opportunity as well, just for more competition. Well, and Chelsea, I'm glad you brought that up. There is really, it seems like from the entire ag industry side, a unified push to make this allowable for uh, sale barn owners. What's the holdup? I guess, where are we finding pushbacks on these particular pieces of legislation? I think anytime you've got um, regulations that have been on the books for a long time, um, it, it, it's just kind of a, uh, a slow process to get, get those adjusted. But from a um, industry perspective, we're not experiencing pushback within the livestock industry. We're experiencing a lot of consensus on this topic, which is good. And having those congressional partners on board is also really important. Well, Chelsea, and of course, the timeline of projects in D.C. is different from the timeline for projects on a lot of farms. Things can stretch out a little bit there on Capitol Hill. Do we have a sense of when this could see some forward movement in Congress? Really good question. Um, you know, having those bills introduced is a good first step. Getting a good group of bipartisan co-sponsors is what we're seeing happen now. You know, um, the, the thing about Congress is that um, you, you kind of have to be on their timeline. Obviously, we are in a farm bill year. These are standalone pieces of legislation. But if we happen to have a, a farm bill process moving forward, I think that this would be in scope for that conversation as well. Although we're getting conversation already about do we end up seeing an extension of that farm bill and that um, kind of turning into a potentially, um, you know, a, a project that gets um, pushed into 2024 rather than 2023. Chelsea, does LMA have thoughts on the farm bill? Is that something you guys will be active in legislating on as the year goes on? Absolutely. You know, we, um, the livestock sector is a little different than some of our uh, crop partners in that we don't necessarily have as many uh, pieces of that bill that are, you know, um, things that are part of our business day to day. But there are parts of the farm bill from a disaster relief perspective and a conservation perspective that get utilized by livestock producers. And so we'll absolutely be part of the coalition that is encouraging those, those components of the bill. Um, and then we also have a, a do no harm perspective as well. Sometimes the farm bill ends up being a place people uh, try and stick ideas that aren't necessarily as productive. So we'll absolutely be in the middle of those conversations, ensuring that the positive pieces move forward and then we don't see anything um, added to that bill that would be negative from a livestock producer perspective, um, because that's, that's, that's who our livestock auctions depend on, right? We need good, productive livestock producers in the countryside in order for our member businesses to succeed. Absolutely. Rising tide lifts all boat. And I love that a, a do no harm policy as this goes forward. Chelsea, I want to circle back to an issue we discussed last year, and I'm hoping it's improved. But at that point, you were hearing from Barnes that there were some real challenges with mail service, getting checks out to farmers. How's that issue been going for barn owners? And is there anything the industry is doing to improve it? I'll be honest, the mail service has not gotten better. Um, if anything, we're continuing to hear um, in increased concern about um, just the speed of mail service and lost mail. Um, 
from, from a producer perspective, you know, one positive thing that we offer in most sale barns is if a producer wants to come on sale day, watch their animal sale, they can pick their check up that day and they're not um, kind of at the mercy of, of that mail service. Um, although, you know, many people don't realize this, but from the, the side of the livestock auction, a lot of the buyers that are sending us funds, a lot of those are checks in the mail. And so it puts the market in a tough position of um, in terms of cash flow and having to put some of their own money in their custodial account waiting for those buyer checks to be received. So we're having a lot of conversation about electronic payment and maybe if there are ways to encourage electronic payment um, from a livestock auction perspective, let's say you've got a buyer who's regulated by the Packers and Stockyards Act. So that would be, you know, maybe a packer or a livestock dealer. We would rather, let's say it's a Monday sale, we would rather that buyer send a wire or an ACH on Wednesday or even Thursday rather than putting a check in the mail on Tuesday. But technically, under the way that the prompt payment law is currently written, the check in the mail on Tuesday is a legal way for that buyer to meet their prompt payment requirement and a wire or ACH on Wednesday or Thursday, even though those funds would be received quicker, actually does not fit under that current prompt payment timeline. So we're looking at maybe making some adjustments there. I think the ability to mail checks will continue to be on the table for the foreseeable future. We're not looking at getting rid of that option, but we are looking at maybe providing some additional flexibilities with the electronic payment options to hopefully encourage folks to, to choose those options. Absolutely. The dollar values we're dealing with at Sale Barns anymore, it's not chump change. These are figures that certainly matter to bottom lines of everybody involved. You got to make sure that money is getting to where it needs to be. Chelsea, LMA, very active, continuing to support the, the fair trade of livestock here around the country. If we've got listeners who want to keep up to date with the work you're doing and the policy moves as this year goes forward, where should they go for more information from the Livestock Marketing Association? I would consider, uh, encourage people to follow LMA on social media, on Facebook, or sell at auction. And then also our website's a good way to see what's going on with LMA, and that's lmaweb.com is our website. LMAweb.com. Folks, keep track of these issues. If you are a cattle producer, they will impact your business. They'll impact the way you do business. Our thanks to Chelsea Good for joining us today for this update. Chelsea, always appreciate your insight. Thank you. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns. We're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. It's been another banner week for legislation around ethanol. Jeff will give us the update when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com.
When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends, surprise parties, camps, birthdays. The same way you plan for the important moments, start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Get started at ready.gov plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grain markets are mixed today with the soybean complex anchoring the proceedings. Soybeans and meal are the last holdouts with substantial spec fund longs to be liquidated, and they are taking historic beatings in recent sessions. November beans are working on a 14th straight losing session with the nearby contracts not faring much better. Conversely, wheat is rallying off lows today on an interesting report in a Russian newspaper saying that their government could recommend a temporary halt in wheat and sunflower exports. The country's ag ministry will reportedly meet with industry representatives this week and discuss the proposition. The grain trade was temporarily soothed when Russia agreed to an extension of the Black Sea export deal last week, but the shorter term and Russian rhetoric during negotiations left plenty of questions yet to be answered. Now this could be Russia's next move or at least yet another continued threat to appear on the offensive side of the situation. Corn continues to be held up by decent basis levels and farmers sitting on stocks, aided by a run of daily flash sales to China as well. Another 8-plus million bushel sale this morning brings purchases to 108 million bushels over the last 10 days. And banking fears are back this morning with Deutsche Bank shares down around 11% after their credit default swap spiked unexpectedly. No story has yet accompanied the move, but the trade doesn't need much to cause anxiety at this point. The UBS acquisition of Credit Suisse earlier this month has the European banking industry under scrutiny. The VIX is on the rise at the end of this week, trading above 24 today, but still below higher volatility periods in mid-March. U.S. Treasuries are benefiting from the Federal Reserve rate increases, followed by European Central bank rate hikes as well, and speculative money flow is clearly heading into that area and away from commodities. And durable goods orders fell 1% in February. That is well below the average trade estimate that was looking for a 0.2% monthly increase. This is AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it was just back in January that this current Congress, the 118th Congress, was sat there in Washington, D.C., but they have been busy as that congressional calendar has started to fill up. And in this past week, a lot of that busyness has had a biofuels tint to it. We saw yesterday the reintroduction of the Next Generation Fuels Act also had an EPA hearing on the E15 waiver, read vapor pressure waiver and other policy moves in D.C. Joining us now for an update on this basket of biofuels issues is Jeff Cooper. He serves as president and executive director of the Renewable Fuels Association. And Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today on AOA. Well, thanks for having me this morning, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, let's start here with the legislation. We did see that Next Generation Fuels Act come in bipartisan support onto the Senate side of Congress. Jeff, how are you feeling about the prospects, the prospects of that piece of legislation this year? Well, we're very hopeful that the legislation uh, takes additional steps forward. We, we think um, it certainly deserves a hearing, and, and we think uh, as more members of both the Senate and the House learn about the, the benefits of this legislation, we think it's going to grow the coalition of supporters, and we're going to see more co-sponsors added to this, this bill as, as more people understand exactly what it does. It's, it's a fairly comprehensive piece of legislation, and there's a lot in there. It, it, it was introduced in the last Congress. Um, it expired when, when Congress ended. So this is really the, the reintroduction uh, of a bill that was introduced uh, in the previous Congress. And, and again, our goal is to keep expanding the base of support for this legislation and, and keep growing uh, that coalition of groups that, that are standing behind this package because it's a very good piece of legislation for the future of our industry. Jeff, let's talk about why why RFA is in support of this bill. What what are some of the big mm -hmm. coherent changes that the Next Generation Fuels Act would look to do? Yeah, so what this legislation does, Mike, you know, I, I think there's a, a growing recognition that electric vehicles are not the panacea. They're not going to be the, the the savior of of our light duty automotive fleet here in the U.S. Uh, and, and I think people are realizing that we're going to be using a lot of liquid fuels in a lot of internal combustion engines for decades to come. And so if our government is serious about reducing carbon emissions from those vehicles, and if they're serious about increasing uh, the fuel efficiency and, and efficiency in those vehicles, we ought to be looking at how we can make liquid fuels better. And that's exactly what the Next Generation Fuels Act does. It would require the use of higher octane fuels, and, and higher octane enables greater efficiency uh, in, in these vehicles. And it would also require that those high octane fuels reduce carbon emissions. So it's effectively a, a high octane, low carbon fuels requirement. That's what this bill does. It's a very proactive solution and we think uh, it addresses many of the challenges and, and really uh, you know, would help accomplish a lot of the goals that this Congress has around, uh, around greenhouse gas emissions reduction and around fuel, fuel efficiency. Jeff, would the Next Generation Fuels Act greenlight E15 sales year-round, or would that need to be a separate piece of legislation? Well, it, it would. It's, it's, again, this, this, uh, this piece of legislation has a lot of elements to it. Uh, that is one of them. It would uh, permanently establish a level playing field for not just E15, but all higher-level ethanol blends when it comes to RVP. Uh, so that's in here. Uh, there's also a, a requirement that automakers would design and, and warrant their vehicles to handle mid-level blends like E20 or E30 because that's 
really the sweet spot for ethanol blends. That's where that high octane really um, is is optimum. Um, it, it would fix several modeling errors in some of the models that EPA uses to regulate fuels. Uh, so again, very comprehensive piece of legislation, and, and yes, it would absolutely address that volatility issue. All right, but that volatility issue is coming at us fast. Summer 2023 is going to be here before we know it, Jeff. Currently, E15 yep. cannot be sold. I know you had a chance to speak to the EPA about that earlier this week. What's the progress looking like on getting E15 out there to consumers this year? Well, we're going to keep pushing as, as hard as we can, and there was a, a hearing on Tuesday morning with EPA, and, and that hearing uh, was all about a petition from eight Midwest governors. And, and in response to that petition, EPA has proposed to allow year-round E15 sales in eight states. Uh, but they are proposing that that wouldn't take effect until next summer. So that would leave us in a, in a lurch for this coming summer. As you said, it would leave retailers scratching their heads and wondering if they can really continue offering E15 in the summer. And right now the answer is no. Um, so there was a hearing on, on this proposal on Tuesday. Our message to EPA was there is no reason to delay implementation until next summer. Uh, these eight Midwestern governors did exactly what they are required to do via the statute, um, and EPA has been dragging their feet and, and should have had this approved last summer. Uh, so there's really no legal or, or economic justification for further delaying this, this petition. Uh, but number two, if for whatever reason EPA is not able um, to get this thing unstuck and if they do decide to kick the can on implementation until 24, then they should at least use other legal authorities at their disposal to allow E15 sales to continue this summer. You might remember that last year the Biden administration issued emergency waivers to, to sort of get us through the summer and allow retailers to continue offering that fuel to their customers. And, and um, our position is that if EPA is going to screw around and not approve this governor's petition, then the least they can do is, is issue emergency waivers again to tide us through this summer. Realistically, though, Jeff, from the retailer's perspective, how much more time can, or how much more delay can EPA have before they won't be able to stock up on their E15 for the summer? Are they making those plans now, I guess, is my question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a significant amount of lead time in this supply chain. And right now you've got terminals uh, where gasoline is blended uh, who are really under the gun to try and figure out exactly what is going to be allowed and what won't be allowed. And in fact, May 1st is their deadline for, for showing EPA that they are compliant with summertime gasoline specifications. Well, right now, nobody knows what those specifications are going to be exactly. So, uh, you know, we've got about a month before terminals really have to have this resolved and figured out. And so we are all looking at EPA and asking for some clarity and certainty heading into summer. And then, of course, June 1st is the date uh, where retailers are, you know, on the hook to, again, demonstrate to EPA that the gasoline they're selling complies with all applicable volatility uh, specifications. So we're getting close to that point. And again, that's why we are really pushing EPA to just settle this issue for this summer and, and let the marketplace know what the expectations are going to be. Absolutely. Jeff, as we get deeper into summer, the policy focus in D.C. is going to shift ever more towards the farm bill. From an ethanol biofuels yep. perspective, is there anything RFA is really pushing for in this next piece of legislation? 
Well, one thing, uh, Mike, that we, we didn't talk about, one, one other recent uh, piece of, of legislation that was introduced is a bill in both chambers that would resolve at very uh, specifically this, this volatility issue that we're talking about. It would sort of take uh, the responsibility out of EPA's hands, um, and Congress would resolve once and for all this issue around E15 sales during the summertime. That bill was reintroduced a, a couple of weeks ago in both the House and Senate. Uh, we think if it doesn't get across the line before summer, which you know the odds are, are pretty long that it would, uh, we think the Farm Bill would be the next best opportunity uh, to make sure that this issue is being addressed in legislation that is very likely to move forward. Uh, so that's that's one uh, uh, priority we have for the Farm Bill. And then, of course, uh, you know, there there are a number of existing programs within the Farm Bill uh, that we want to see um, reauthorized and, and sort of plussed up when it comes to uh, renewable energy uh, grant programs, when we think about the infrastructure programs that have been part of the Farm Bill before. Those are the sorts of things that we're going to be pushing for. We're going to be looking for a very robust energy title within this farm bill um, as there has been in the last few. Jeff, you mentioned some of the grants that are out there, and I know RFA has had a lot of success helping retailers qualify for some of those grants to add additional blends of ethanol. Is that something that looks like it could continue on through this year? Yeah, we, we think it will. And in fact, uh, Secretary Vilsack was asked about that. He testified in front of a Senate committee uh, last week. And, and, you know, it's been a priority for for him to ensure that uh, USDA is using its resources to help continue building out the infrastructure at retail stations and at terminals uh, to distribute higher level blends of ethanol like E15 and E30 and E85. And so, yes, we do fully expect that that is going to be uh, an active part of the discussion in, the, in, in this next farm bill. Uh, and we're hopeful that that continues. We've seen great success with the last few rounds of, of those grants that have been issued by USDA. RFA has been very active in helping retailers apply for those grants and, and do it the right way and make sure they're receiving that assistance. So we, we do hope that continues. It's been a huge shot in the arm for the marketplace and, and really is helping us to expand the market for ethanol. Jeff, getting our thoughts out into Washington, D.C., if we've got growers who are passionate about biofuels getting E15 at their pumps this summer, what's the best way to go about making that herd in Washington? Yeah, the best way is is simply to pick up the phone and, and call your member of Congress, whether that's in the Senate uh, or in the House or, or both. Um, and specifically, we would we would encourage folks to make sure that their member of Congress is a co-sponsor and, and is supporting uh, some of this legislation that's been, been introduced and is really helping to push it across the line. Absolutely. Get their names on the papers, folks. That's Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a good one. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines to keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. What a great organization. Helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. The archaeological records suggest that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work 
by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. We've got some stories that work into the world of global agriculture. A story that we have been following since February is the ramifications of that atypical BSE case down in Brazil. This was reported by the Brazilian government back in February. They had a cow with an atypical BSE case, and that spurred the country of China to suspend beef imports from Brazil. It's estimated that about 140, 150,000 metric tons of beef sales weren't made to China over the past month. And uh, there's a consultant firm down in Brazil that estimates beef packers were losing between 20 and 25 million dollars per day. Well, today the Chinese announced that they are going to go ahead and allow Brazilian beef to start making its way across the ocean again back into that country. China is the main buyer of Brazilian beef. They purchase about 60% of Brazilian exports of protein. This was a huge issue for Brazilian beef packers. That Chinese market, just like the Chinese market, provided substantial tailwinds to the hog industry in this country in 2019 and 2020. The beef industry was doing the same for the packer down in Brazil. They have been pushing very hard on Lula da Silva to get these uh, export bans revoked or removed with the Chinese, and it appears as though it's finally making process or progress. Rather, Now, it's worth noting that the announcement today from the Chinese was not an accident. President uh, of Brazil, Lula da Silva, this weekend is headed to Beijing. He will be, in fact, the first foreign leader to visit President Xi Jinping in China since he secured his, well, record-setting third term as president back in December. Lula is heading over there. He's taking 250 Brazilians, 90 of them representing agriculture, and they're going to spend five days traveling uh, really across a large area of China, introducing Chinese policymakers to products from Brazil. And I've got a feeling agricultural products are going to be key to this conversation going forward. Brazil is very excited about this move with the Chinese. There is a Brazilian senator, Hamilton Morau, and he was vice president uh, back in 2019, had the chance to meet with President Xi back then. He had this comment. He said, quote, Brazil has to keep a flexible and pragmatic position in this dispute between China and the United States. They're looking at the... the increasing tensions between Brazil 
excuse me, between Washington, D.C. and Beijing, and the Brazilians are excited about the market opportunity that is creating for that country. We'll continue to see how this plays out. These uh, This trade mission is just getting started, as I mentioned, this weekend. They'll be over there. We'll see what kind of stories come out of China from this Brazilian delegation as we get into this next week. While we're on the subject of meat, there was another cultivated meat product that received FDA approval earlier this week. The FDA approved a cultivated chicken product from a company called Good Meat. They issued, the FDA issued what they call a no questions letter. Basically, Good Meat presented all of the information they have about their cell cultured chicken product. So this is not a, a plant-based alternative protein. This is chicken cells growing in a petri dish to create meat good described their technology and their product to the fda and the fda wrote a letter back with no questions that effectively allows it to move its way forward in the regulatory process this is the second product um, that is considered safe to eat from the fda this however isn't an approval it is simply uh, I guess the, the FDA is saying they have no further questions about the product safety. They're not approving it for sale. But if you get the chance to go to Good Meats in San Francisco, FDA says you can eat the product. Now, I've never tried these cultivated meat products, but they are coming fast and furious. I expect we will be seeing a lot more headlines about that segment of the industry as we get out into 2023 even further. We do have some good news on the protein front if you are thinking about poultry. HPAI, high path avian influenza, continues to be causing trouble throughout the industry, continue to see outbreaks across not just the Midwest, but they are percolating into the Northeast and even farther north into Canada. That country's first uh, HPAI outbreak for 2023 was discovered late last week. The good news, however, and this is according to Mark Jordan, who's the executive leader um, at Leap Market Analytics. He says the good news from the HPAI front is that the pace of losses is slowing. Comparing this year, 2023, to this same calendar period in 2022, last year they lost about one and a half million birds to HPAI and forced culling. This year, in the first quarter of 2023, only down 300,000 birds. So last year at this time, we were five times worse in terms of how the spread of the outbreak, outbreak was progressing. And they take that as a piece of good news. Hopefully, if it's slowing down, perhaps the biosecurity methods are starting to work and maybe it's just starting to phase out. We'll continue to keep an eye on HPAI. It is the major force moving the poultry market still continues to be an active factor driving egg pricing. And we'll see just how this industry is able to make it through 2023. We've got some news coming out of Ohio I thought was interesting. We were talking with Jeff Cooper about the importance of biofuels. And yesterday, of course, we spoke with Alan Schaefer about the importance of diesel technology. One ag manufacturer says, well, maybe we don't need diesel engines. There is a plant in Lordstown, Ohio, that is going to be producing Monarch tractors. Now, these are the smaller, uh, fully electric Farm tractors. Uh, these were launched back in December. The California is being slowed exclusively in California. Uh, just they don't have enough service and shops out there to support it in too many other places. Right now, their target market is vineyards and uh, kind of small utility type markets. But the company is growing. They say they are going to uh, build these factories in a 6.2 million square foot plant in Lordstown. Previously, it was a Foxconn plant. Uh, it was where General Motors was making Chevy Cruze cars. Now it will be repurposed and it will be bringing 
battery electric tractors to the world of agriculture. The MKV tractor, which is the one they'll be manufacturing there in Ohio, is a 40 horsepower tractor all day long. It's a 100 kilowatt battery, but it can peak up to a 70 horsepower tractor, depending on how you use the engine. It'll be interesting to watch this segment of the ag industry move forward. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA. Tune in next time. We'll talk weather with John Baranek, and we'll get a look at acreage estimates from our friends at agmarket.net. Have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.